0: I've always known my purpose. Like I, I'm i like Rocky Bubbo and I'm like, honestly, this is... The, Sylvester Stallone says it, whatever. He's like, I, I made sure it was my only option. I had no other choice. I was going to make it work no matter what. And getting into Cradle Filth was that step where I was like seeing, oh, wait, like I allowed this person who I love's opinions to justify my talents and my gifts. This is bullshit. And then I actually read a book recently called the big leap and like the first chapter i was bawling my eyes out because he drew attention to the fact that you i was i was living in the shame of feeling like i was a burden for outshining people and never since i've taken control of that confidence it's like yeah this is what i'm meant to do with life fight me change my opinion <laughs> you know yes You're at the table with like the cup of, cup of coffee this is my life purpose change my mind
1: <laughs> welcome to the being in a band podcast I'm your host, Monica Strutt, and I'll be your new band bestie as we deep dive into all things music marketing, PR and strategy, as well as the mindset it takes to succeed in today's modern music industry. I know the highs and lows of being a musician, and I've seen far too many of my talented peers give up on their dreams far too early in their careers. After working for years, both as a musician and professional digital marketer specializing in the music industry, I now help emerging bands break through the glass ceiling and reach the next level in their careers. Let's do this. What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Being in a Band podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Lindsay Schoolcraft of Cradle of Filth. She is about to release her own solo album called Marta, and this is such an amazing chat. Lindsay is really, really into marketing and With her new album, she's actually doing it on her own label, so we actually talk a lot about what it is to release music as, I guess, your own label and independently, what's worth investing in, and I guess what to expect. Of course, we talk about, you know, the creation process of the album, but we also deep dive into, I guess, her journey as an artist because... It took her essentially 12 years for her to, I guess, transition from her day job into being a full-time musician. And I think her story is one that a lot of people can resonate with in terms of why she's doing music and all the work that she's put in, in order to be where she is now touring the world and, you know, being a full-time musician and everything that comes with that. So, I know that you're going to get so so much out of this episode. I'm just going to put it out there. It's probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done in the last few years. And Lindsay is just such an amazing person. She's incredibly intelligent. She is so so sweet and has been, I guess, really supportive of me since I've connected with her on social media. And she is really really in touch with her fans as anyone uh, that follows her on social media would know. And yeah, it was just such an incredible chat and I can't Wait for you to listen to it. Before we dive in, this episode is brought to you by my brand new PR course, PR Made Simple. It's essentially a course that teaches local bands how to DIY your own PR campaign to really raise your profile in terms of your positioning in the music industry, start getting reviews, radio play, get on those Spotify playlists, and yeah, just generally get some really cool media traction. So if you're interested, I'll leave it linked below. You can also head to monicastrat.com and go to course so without further ado here is my interview with Lindsay Schoolcraft what is up guys and welcome back to the being in a band podcast today I have a very very exciting guest I'm speaking with Lindsay Schoolcraft Lindsay how are you Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Absolute pleasure. So you've had so much going on lately. I mean, you were just recently in Australia touring with Cradle of Filth. You are smack bang in the middle of a uh, album campaign for your debut album, Marta. And then I saw that you shot back to Australia as well for a wedding. So you've had a lot going on. How have the last
0: few months been? Honestly, like I, I remember things being chill in like January and then February hit and I haven't stopped and now it's October I'm like okay it's just been a blur like I've forgotten how much has happened this year it's been unreal
1: yeah totally I um I, I totally feel, <laughs> feel that as well you kind of look back and you're like where have the last few months been but you you've had just yeah. so much going on um how has the album been received so far because it's officially out on the 7th right Yeah, it's out
0: Monday on my web shop and then it's out on all digital platforms on October 11th, which is next Friday. Um, So, I mean, anyone who's heard it, they really like it. Um, I was, you know, I was expecting, you know, how there's like you, you write your music and it's very personal and you're like, oh, like all your little insecurities come out about like, not necessarily like what you could have done better, but like, Like, I'll be straight, open, and honest. I was scared people were going to call me like an Amy Lee copycat because I worked with the original drummer of Evanescence. I was scared they were going to call me outdated. No one said anything mean. So, like, you know, like none of my big insecurities have shown people just love the music because I think I was just very genuine and, and, and I crafted it, like, no pun intended with my last name, but I crafted it with so much care and love and just dove into being an artist,
1: like, 110%. I love that so much. Is, I mean... Imposter syndrome is something that is so prevalent, especially amongst high achievers that I've noticed, um, especially with musicians as well, when you are sort of bearing your soul through your art, is there anything that you do, especially in busy times like this to kind of, uh, ground yourself, take care of your energy and to kind of get over that sort of imposter syndrome?
0: Absolutely. And it's something that you have to practice. And it took me like, when did I start? Probably when I was, oh my God, how old am I? probably, when I was 26, I started practicing meditation, the law of attraction, vision boards, uh, you know, positive self-talk. So now we're into that about seven years and I've actually gotten okay at it. It really didn't start to work for me until about two, three years in, but you know, every, every morning, I think, I think the key to living a happy life and, and calming your insecurities is just having gratitude um, and appreciating everything for what it is and not what you expect it to be. So I do have like a, like, you know, they say the most successful people, the most powerful people on the planet have a morning routine and every morning for like about, it's usually, I don't know why eight minutes, eight minutes seems to be my, my good time. I set a timer and I just sit there and I practice gratitude. I meditate. I ask myself what's bothering me, how I can fix it. I, I like mentally plan things for the day. And then I go and write them on my, my whiteboard and I get going, you know? And, uh, I think that's like an essential part of it. And it's kind of crushed all of that insecurity. Like it's crushed all of that crappy shit that people could potentially say about me. But, you know, I think the biggest thing, and it actually happened with Rocky and writing this album with him, because before that there were some people who were really nasty to me and said, like, you're an amateur, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how to write music, like, and and then, but then, like, Rocky Gray comes along, Grammy award-winning songwriter, and wants to work with me, and I'm like, wait a minute, none of this is true, you know, and then I found out later the people who talk to me like this actually have their own problems, and they're just taking it out on me, but that's the thing, we as artists, like, when someone says something so negative, we take it to heart, but now, like, when I released the music video for Savior, like I think a few people said I didn't know how to sing or like my voice wasn't powerful enough. And I just laughed because I was like, are you deaf? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like amazing. I'm not like Flor Jensen or Sarah Brightman, but like I'm not shit. I went through eight years of training. Like I've
1: put in the time. So I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> yeah, I heard this saying that what people say about you is... a reflection on them and it's never actually about you so um that seems to bode well I guess in this situation yeah yeah and that's I think what musicians need to do when
0: they're getting feedback online just remember like the person who says shitty things is probably miserable and has a really shitty life and don't like you know don't take it into account they they're not an expert they don't they don't know what they're talking about if anybody like For example, if someone's coming to me and telling me what I should be doing with my voice, I usually like, I'm a little bit of a brat and I'll respond and be like, are you trained? Are you a vocal teacher? And they usually just go quiet. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I'm only going to take the, I'm only going to take the feedback of my vocal coaches. I have a few And usually they say it in a way they're like, you can improve here, you can improve here. They're not just going to be like flat out, like this is bad. They're going to tell you how to improve. So you always have to consider the source.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is that person where you want to be? And if they're not, then their opinion really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you did have eight years of... um, training, and I know that you are originally classically trained. I'd love to know a little bit more about, I suppose, your journey with music, because you have been doing it for a really long time. You've played, uh, you know, obviously with Cradle of Filth, and now you're releasing your solo stuff. And yeah, I I guess I want to take it back to kind of where it started, what got you into music, and I guess what has led you to this point?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, it honestly, (laughs) I'm a Disney baby. It was all... I grew up in the glory days of Disney. Yes. I can I can remember like I think my first few Disney movies were like 101 Dalmatians, Beauty and the Beast, and then I like followed the release that they had every year. Like The Lion King is my favorite movie still to this day. Um, you know, so it, it's like all that style of melody and expression and that's where I got my love of music and performance and singing. And then I can remember as young as like elementary school, I was in the, in the choir for a few musicals. I was on stage for The Little Mermaid. I was a shark, though. I was just singing backups for Under the Sea. I wasn't anything special. But my costume was amazing. <laughs> um, I'll give... I had the best shark costume ever. Like, my head popped out where the teeth were. It oh was my so God. cute. I had, like, a big a big uh, stuffed dome on my head. And he had, like, eyes. And it was just, like, the best... It was the best costume ever. Like, I outdid all... I could sew. I, I probably could still sew if you put a sewing machine in front of me. But, like, I really put my love into my costume because i was just a backup singer so you made it it yourself oh with the help of my mom and her best friend i'll be honest because like (laughs) i wouldn't have known how to stuff the dome of the shark nose it was was so cute um yeah it was great and it it had like a dragging tail and i think that's like where i got my love of performance was like doing the conga around ariel and sebastian on a our musical uh of the Little Mermaid, where at yeah. uh, the school that I came from, it was incredible. Um, you know, and that's kind of where I developed my love of the stage and, and my love of singing. Even though I was like awkwardly hiding behind a costume, uh, I did that quite a bit in elementary school. Um, but yeah, it was just it just developed as something later on in life, you know. And my dad showing me guitar, and then in my teens if we like are counting back, like I'm coming up to my 19th year of doing this since I was 15 years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, um, cause I was watching some of your YouTube videos this week and, uh, some of your like cover tunes and stuff. And I love, um, actually I watched a really, really good video that you did all about, Uh, the music industry and I guess giving people advice on the music industry and oh I'm glad you liked it yeah incredible everyone that's listening to this needs to watch it because I feel like you answer questions that everyone has but like not in
0: good order I was super tired and I think I was in Norway but I really tried
1: (laughs) no no it's it's awesome I feel like yeah it answers questions that everyone asks but they're not quite sure I guess where to go for the answer but um you, you talk about uh record labels and I guess um in 2019 whether there's a need for a record label. And I do know that you released Marta yourself. How, mm. um, I guess, how has that process been in terms of releasing the album as your own record label? And I guess, um, you know, what, was it what you expected? Honestly, it has been like the
0: best, the most rewarding and liberating journey, but also like the most painful growth process I've ever been through I never thought that I would become my own record label but um it made sense especially I did all my training through uh Savvy Musician Academy and they taught me how to become like my own self-sufficient digital record label yeah and for that I am very grateful but uh yeah like it's you know there was some labels that were interested and then I feel like the infrastructure changed and They kind of like heightened the the amount of units per record uh, cycle that you're supposed to sell. So like coming into a record label now, you already have to be self sufficient on your own. But now that I know what I know through my training and my my research and my oh my gosh, destroying my brain for the last god knows how many months, um, you know, trying to cram all this info into one little muscle, uh, I I don't feel that there is a need for a record label anymore if you know what people to get involved and how to get them involved and where to invest your money and where to invest your time um I'm glad that I'm not with a record label I'm glad that I don't give up my rights and my decisions and my artistic vision to someone else to make the decisions for me um yeah. you know and, and it's easy to do because it is just me and my music and, and I I got my band and, and it's exciting because when I told, Oh my God, you should have seen their faces. I was writing with, uh, Antiqua. So it's like a black metal side project Zen from Nabla Viscaris is a singer. And we've got like a, we've got like a very like super group going on for black metal. And we sat down in Hamburg this, this like summer. And that's when I started to realize I was becoming my own record label without really like, connecting the dots. I kind of had like the aha moment going into meeting them to write. We were working on two songs and I sat them down for coffee because we had to talk about, you know, business things. I say like with quotations, business things. <laughs> and I said, okay, so I'm becoming my own record label. And they're like, what? Wh- excuse me? Their faces were just like, they were happy, but scared. They were like, what? And But now that I know what to do, like if if I think I'd rather have that side project, under my say li- like, lightly record label because <laughs> this way we get to call the shots. No one's telling us what to do. We c- we create our budgets. We have a better connection with our fans, and we get to hire the people we like. Like you know, if you sign over to a record label and there's like ten people working for that record label, and Joe Schmo in like relations is a douchebag, like you have to deal with that. But like me, everybody on my t- I don't call them my employees. I call them my team are the most lovely, wonderful people. And I love, 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 love working with all of them. And mostly women too.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Us women, we're
1: really good multitaskers. <laughs> we are I, definitely. <laughs> so yeah. who would you say is important to have on your team? I mean, if you are going the independent route, where is worth I guess, investing your, your money and having on your team, if you're going to be an independent artist in 2019. Okay. So these are like the
0: top three people, no, not three, the top people in my team. So two of them I have right now, I have someone who, you know, uh, who's in PRs. Curtis. He's doing like the, the printed in press, the internet press for me. He's fantastic. And then I also have um, Patrick Walsh from Circuit Music and he's doing all my digital. He's helping me with my digital marketing because I got a little bit behind. I could have done it all myself, but there was like a time crunch. So if you plan really far ahead, you may or may not need digital. But I really wanted him on my team because he's also an awesome human being. Okay. So those are the two people that come around every album cycle, right? So you have to have like press people. but then the the main people that uh, I have, so I have my manager uh, who doubles as my booking agent. I'm very lucky to have him. His name's Noel Peters from Inertia Entertainment. So he helps me co-manage, and he's oh, he's so talented with helping me like press all my merch. Like I get really multi-talented people who kind of help with everything, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so I have a, a co-manager. I have an assistant who uh, she actually graduated from the music business program here in my city and she's just willing to come over and I pay her hourly. She's willing to do everything from like fold my laundry, do my dishes, sort my merch, get me organized for the next day, research like things that I need researched. So she's just fantastic in that regard. I also have my designer. Her name is Lindsay from, um, oh god how do I say her design name anyways is Lindsay Martin O'Brien if you need her work look her up online she's fantastic she does everything like that girl like designed everything for me everything everything you see online to everything that you know you see that is about to be printed for merch and you know she did it by the hour and that's the thing like A lot of things that startup musicians and bands and and starting up like a little business don't know is you actually do save more money if you just dock and charge by the hour. And I've been very lucky that the people that I've hired do by the hour because you can get a lot done in an hour. Do you know what I mean? And you have to like negotiate the rate, but they're being incredible by charging me by the hour at what we think we negotiated was a fair rate because you know sometimes... Some people do take advantage and overcharge and you have to be very wary of those people. But yeah, like those are like, those are like my main people. And then I have a bunch of other people like this person does lyric videos. This person does uh, video editing. This person shops my music to movies. This person um, does like the girl uh, Anastasia Salty from Russia. She does all my artwork. So yeah, you just kind of got to like, you have a team and, and you know, so you don't lose track because you can lose track. Let me tell you, I have like a note in my phone. It's like team list. And I look at it like
1: every few days to make sure I'm in touch with everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, do you have like, do you use any project management tools or yeah, just sort of, I guess, um, yeah, some sort of way to keep everyone organized or.
0: Yeah, we, we, well, I I should probably get onto like monday.com or Airtable or something I should, but I have just literally not had the time. So we have a shared spreadsheet on Google documents that we can all access and edit and leave notes. And that's about as good as it gets right now. And
1: that's okay. Yeah. That's awesome. How good is Google documents? It's It's
0: It's great. I did, I, you know, I did a fan survey there. I did, uh, what else did I do? Uh, we have the sheet there. I've like, you know, it's great. Google documents is where it's at. Most people have Gmail addresses, so it just makes sense
1: yeah what was the fan survey I'm curious as to what that is
0: okay so uh I was told by Savvy Musician Academy that I needed to do like a fan survey and really I did want to get to know my fans a little bit better and see like what they wanted to buy so I wouldn't spend money on stupid things like I literally wanted to make like mugs and scarves and notebooks and candles and like None of my fans wanted that, so I'm so glad that I surveyed my fans and asked them what merch they like buying because now it's like okay we'll we'll stick to the stuff that you want so I don't lose money which as a as a record label owner, I should probably know these things yeah. you know <laughs> um, but also because like I actually didn't know how to label my music, and I am like I have no ego whatsoever, I don't care like I will admit. I'll be the first, like, I'll be one of the first people to admit, I don't care about subgenres, label me what you want. And I don't care about comparing myself to other artists, especially if they're my influence. So I asked my fans, like, what do you think my music is? And the, the answer that came through the most was Gothic rock. They're like, you're Gothic rock, you're atmospheric Gothic rock, ethereal Gothic rock. So I'm like, okay, I'll choose ethereal Gothic rock because I like the sound of that. That's cool. Um, So that's kind of what happened. They helped me figure out like what my tiny little subgenre was, but that's like my market. Like those are my fans. Those are the people that like my music. So now that I know what my subgenre is and what bands I sound like, I can, you know, find other fans. Like my fans are out there. They just need to be told that I exist. So then, you know, you go into marketing and you use all that information and boom.
1: Yeah, that's awesome because I feel like what, when you're actually in the music as an artist yourself, it is really hard to kind of figure out who you sound like and what you sound like because we're so, I guess, close to the music that it can be hard to sort of take a step back and, and see that bigger picture and I guess that would really help as well um, now that you've done that with stuff like Facebook ads and, um, yeah, I guess the way that you market your music. Um would you, I mean, so obviously that's something that everyone can do. How important do you think Facebook ads are in, you know, 2019?
0: Well, I, I there's one more thing I want to say before I answer that. And I just wanted to put it out there. Like, and just, this is going to sound mean, but I'm being like an honesty bomb. Yeah. You're not, you're not unique. Everything has been done. Get over it. Okay. I you're doing it. it because you love it. And then leading into my next question, Facebook advertising is the most important critical thing that you will do for your career. When I did that survey to my fans, I thought that like I did a pie chart and, uh, as my results. And I thought that Instagram was going to be like 50% of that pie chart. Mm. I'm like, what platform do you use the most? Right. So it was like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, other, right. I don't even think other showed up. Uh, the pie chart was 55% Facebook people still use Facebook. They're still on there all the time talking with their friends and family. Um, where Facebook is more of where the conversation gets started. Instagram is a visual thing. Okay. And then Twitter is just, I don't even know Twitter. like the weird monster in the corner that people don't know what to do with still. Um, yeah. you know, Twitter was like a very small percent of that. Uh, so when I did that survey and I realized that like 55% of my fans are still on Facebook and in general like anyone can do that survey and they'll be like oh well damn my fans are still on Facebook that's where you need to be running your ads if you're going to be advertising and honestly advertising is not that expensive like I looked into advertising companies uh, probably about a year ago just to see like what was up and It was, it was going to be thousands of dollars. Do you know how much I've spent on advertising since May? And I've run ads. Let me tell you, I've run three ads a month. Do you know how much I've spent? How much? $300 Canadian. Oh, seriously. Yeah. You know what? Zuckerberg, as much as I curse his name quite a bit under my breath, he is giving us musicians a huge discount. If we, you know, say, Oh, we don't have the money. I'm sorry. You can find $60 $60 a month to run Facebook ads. Don't go out as much. Quit quit smoking, quit drinking, quit your addiction. I honestly, I gave up buying makeup. That was dumb. I've got more makeup than I'll ever need. I had an addiction. I curved it. I stopped <laughs> drinking. I've had thousands of dollars. It's all about priorities. If you you know, learn how to do it right, there's lots of courses out there, especially Savvy Musician Academy. They have a great course on how to do Facebook ads. They're just such a fantastic school. And you're investing and you get all that information forever. And they update the information as things change on Facebook, which is just like, they are honestly the best for musicians online right now. Like, you know, uh, it's crazy. Like when I found out like how to properly do my ads, I think I ran an ad for like 30 bucks and I got like 4,000 likes on my page and there's all real people who really like my music.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Because uh, I guess a lot of musicians out there, there's kind of and I wrote a blog post on this a couple of months ago. A lot of musicians, I guess, are reluctant to spend money on anything. <laughs> essentially, yeah. like yeah, they'll, they'll pay for the CD and the shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they'll buy, you know, you know what you were saying about priorities and going out. They'll spend a hundred dollars uh, on a Saturday night on a bender, or they'll buy another guitar for two thousand dollars. Yet when it comes. Yeah investing in actually getting the music out there and getting heard and exposure for it, then I guess, I don't know if it's overwhelming or whether it's just something that they don't see value in necessarily. I think it's more the overwhelm and not knowing what to do and, you know, if that money is going to return to them, but you really do have to invest in, if you're going to spend all this money on making music, it's my philosophy that you need to spend almost as much on actually or like not almost as much, obviously it depends on how much it costs you to make an album or whatever on actually getting people to hear it because if no one hears it, then really what's the point?
0: Well, that's the thing. I think like people, it's having a business mind mentality. And I mean, I've had that more now than ever, but ever since I can remember, I've been like, okay, let's study business too. So I can do this full time because I don't, you know, I don't want to be, um, working at a makeup store or a coffee shop the rest of my life. Like I just want to do music full time. So no matter what you do, like you have, you are giving something to someone to improve the quality of their life while getting something in a return to, you know, um, feed your cat or whatever. So like, I think it's almost like a people don't see it as like everything you do is an investment long-term. You do a photo shoot, you pay for uh, a Facebook banner to be made. It's an investment. It's like everything you do counts for something. And yes, it, music is damn well expensive. I know. I don't even want to think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars I've put into my music career almost the past 20 years. It's been intense. But it does build up to something where eventually you will get your dedicated fans who will like continue to help pay for your career, you know, but you just have to think about that's not going to happen until you have these building blocks in place. And I think it, like the most important things that musicians can do for themselves is invest their money into this the production, and you can get away with a lot in the live show now. You really can. There's so many tricks you can do to like put on a live show, and that's like a whole other can of worms that we will be here for three hours. I don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> But, you know, like, it's just making sure you look pretty online, which is, like, not that much work and not that much money. You can do it for dirt cheap, um, you know. But, again, a photo shoot and a logo is a worthy investment. Um, and then getting a banner put together, you only need, like, I know some people who've literally used the same five photos for their career the past 10 years and nobody cared. Nobody noticed, you know. Um Unlike me, who's like one of my closest friends, a photographer, I'm like, let's go take a ton of pictures and I'm all over Instagram, but that's just me. That's um, so lucky. I'm very lucky. My sister's also a photographer too. So I've just been blessed with photographers, honestly, as a musician, make friends with a photographer, makeup artist, and a hairstylist, and you'll be, you'll be set for life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's worth it to just have those essentials down pat, because those are the things like people need to see and hear something. At the end of the day, they need to, you know, and I think putting that money especially into the production so when they hear something, they're really, they're really having an experience. I think that's the most important thing ever.
1: Yeah, and especially with this online environment, people are seeing you before they hear you anyway. Yeah. So it's, you know, if you can capture an image which is, I guess, a visual representation of your song, then it's just going to make the whole process of actually getting your music out there so much easier precisely. Yeah. You mentioned investing and it's a long-term game. One thing that came to mind was, I guess, and I think you alluded to this as well, is really knowing why you're doing music and having that sort of end goal in mind of the people that you want to, I guess, touch through your music in some way. I'd love to know, I guess, why you write your own music and uh, what, have you always known you wanted to be a musician?
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I really loved the experience of singing for people and seeing the reaction. And I thought that like, I've since elementary school and in high school. um, And then I started writing my own music in high school. And it was one of those things where, and I thought about this recently, it was like this huge awe moment where I was like, wow, and I totally forgot about that time in my life. But I'd say like the first five years, I literally in the back of my brain was like, I'm going to write this music and I'm going to work on my voice and I'm going to sing and perform and put this out there. And if the feedback is like not good, I'm going to quit because then clearly this is not what I'm meant to be doing. But then the feedback was like 80% positive, you know, like with my very first band, which I didn't think we were that good, but apparently we were pretty okay for like the age and the time and, and et cetera. And then I was like, okay, wow. Like I don't suck. I've put the time into my writing and my singing and my playing. And then I switched genres in my early twenties. I went like pretty much gothic rock with my old band and we kept going and the response was always good. So I was like, okay, you know what? Like keep going. But that's the thing. Like you have to know if like, this is what you want to do. And you also, I think have to be good at it. And then when, when my second band brought out their album and fans were writing and they're like, this song changed my life. This song saved my life. I want your music in a video game. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this right. Like I'm doing this right. You know what I mean? Because if you're affecting people to that extent, mm-hmm. if you're like people want to work with you, they want to use your music in media and you're saving lives and you're bettering lives. Mm-hmm. It's like, That is the most important thing. That is a gift. You are doing a service to humanity. And I'm like, well, that is my service to humanity. It's just in a different way. I'm like a nurse for your ears, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, that is just so, so powerful. Have there been any times where you've maybe doubted that this whole music thing was for you? You know what? I did.
0: And you know why it happened? Because I was in a toxic relationship and my partner was jealous and did not believe in me. Really? and I love that person so much that I allowed their opinion to shape me I'll try to make this story very very quick funny enough uh we lived in the apartment that I live in now don't worry I redecorated so it looks entirely different um
1: <laughs> get all those bad vibes out um,
0: oh literally we were painting the room me and my my partner were painting the room my current partner we we're painting the room and I'm like painting away the bad memories it was like ugly blue <laughs> color it was so funny Get and, out. <laughs> Yeah, little girl, let me tell you. It was a whole seance. Um, (laughs) And it was just, oh man, it was just getting out the demons. It was great. Uh, And uh, yeah, it was like, this person was just like, you know, I'm a very friendly, outgoing, confident person. They painted that as flirting. So I dumbed down myself to make them happy. They, They were in a band. My band was dissolving. They're like, they're like, you know, it was just very toxic. And it was because sadly, and I have a lot of compassion for them. I shouldn't, but I do. Uh, they were just very insecure and very not happy with themselves and had a lot of their own unresolved issues. So I was like, okay, well, like I'm going to go to school and become a high school teacher and teach music and arts, you know, because like, that's like a an honorable job, I guess. So, you know, I was still doing my thing on the side, hoping it would work out. And then literally the week before we broke up, Cradle Filth called me, um, no, sorry. The week after we broke up and then like, it went from like being known as their girlfriend to like being, Oh, you're the guy who used to date Lindsay Schoolcraft. It was just like such a karma slap in the face for him. But that's the thing. Like I've always known my purpose. Like I I'm like Rocky bubble. And I'm like, honestly, this is the, Sylvester Stallone says it, whatever. He's like, I, I made sure that it was my only option. I had no other choice. I was going to make it work no matter what. And getting in a cradle filth was that step where I was like seeing, oh, wait, like I allowed this person who I love's opinions to justify my talents and my gifts. This is bullshit. And then I actually read a book recently called The Big Leap. And like the first chapter, I was bawling my eyes out because he drew attention to the fact that you, I was, I was living in the shame of feeling like I was a burden for outshining people. And never since I've taken control of that confidence it's like, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do with life. Fight me, change my opinion, <laughs> you know, yes. they're at the table with like the cup of, cup of coffee. This is my life
1: purpose. Change my mind. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like- oh, so, so good. And <laughs> such interesting timing as well that you said that you joined Cradle of Filth the week after you broke up with this guy. Yeah. So, yeah unbelievable it was like it was like everything fell into place i
0: think it like all happened on the day that like the mayans said the calendar was ending it was just crazy stop
1: it no (laughs) no not even lying not even lying Oh my god. Shit up. <laughs> so good. Well, I guess we should talk about the album. So you have um you did mention that you worked with Rocky Gray, who was the original Evanescence drummer. How was the mm-hmm. creation process of Mada? And can you yeah, give us an insight into any themes about the album and what we should expect? It was such a sloppy ass
0: mess, but it was a good mess. It was such a good mess. Um it's like when you're creating a canvas a painting, and there's just paint getting everywhere, uh, all over, not on the canvas. But uh, yeah, like we we wrote some songs together. He gave me some old demos that we are the fallen rejected, and I turned them into magic. Well, we turned them into magic together. Some of them were like my old songs, but he was just like such a cool driving force to like work with. Like he's so professional. I mean, you have to be if you're worked on that level and still continue to work on that level. He does like film scores and video game music now, which is ah. so cool. Yeah, he's just such a talented dude. I call him the Timbaland of, of rock. Because, like, <laughs> anything anything that man touches turns to gold. It's brilliant. And I'm not, I'm, okay, I might be a little, it's like half bias, half truth here. Anyways, so um, yeah, he, you know, he was just great the whole time. And he really inspired me. And, like, every time he sent me something, I was just like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because I would just be like it it would be that I would be like oh my god like I'm working with one of my idols like it was weird I always put on my vision boards like one day I'll work with like Evanescence or Amy Lee and then like the universe like gave me the man
1: that pioneered their sound you know because like on your YouTube channel there is uh, a couple of Evanescence covers if I'm not mistaken uh one or two I believe Yeah. yeah
0: Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's just so weird, but I think I was smart enough to like also as much as I do look up to Amy Lee as an influence, as a singer and a songwriter, I know who I am. Like I don't prance around in combat boots and a tutu, you know, like I, I've been able to be like, this is my look. This is who I am. I don't even know if that was like her. Apparently a lot of stuff came out recently that like, She's not even, she doesn't identify with goth culture. It was just the way their record label was telling her to dress and stuff. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, well, you know, it is what it is. But um, yeah, so it's like I, I've been able to just kind of find my identity a little bit separate. But I also get to work with one of the people who founded that huge movement in rock music at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it just... Oh, still, un- it's unreal. And to this day, we're good friends. We talk every week. He, you know, we have a lot in common. So I love that. He's on board for the next album too. So I'm happy about that.
1: Awesome. Oh, so exciting. Um, and your single savior as well, um, has a pretty cool video clip. Can you tell us a little bit about what the song is about and also, yeah, where the concept from the video came from?
0: Sure. So, uh, wow. Um, that was one Rocky, sent me like stuff that didn't get used by we of the fallen and i listened to it and savior was just like literally like one minute clip it was like a verse a course and and an intro and i literally think that was it and i heard it and i i messaged him and i was like why did ben moody reject this like this is so good he's like <laughs> what do you think? i'm like no 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 i'm like I know this is going to be something. He's like, okay. So then I started writing like my ideas, which were probably honestly the same melody and lyric lyrics that you hear now. It was just meant to be. And I, I was like, I sent him over, like I I took what I had, I clipped it up in the studio, rearranged it, put it together. And I said this, and then he was just like, Oh my God. Like, that's that's your hit you know like we were at this point like maybe had like eight songs written or demoing and he's like that that's the song i'm like i know it's my favorite song um and that that song just grew into such a beast and it was funny he like just did the drums for the bridge and then never built anything heavy on it so that's why that bridge just became big and open and i couldn't hear it any other way And it was kind
1: of a mistake. It was like a lazy mistake on his end, but like... Sometimes those are the best, though, when you accidentally make a mistake uh, in the recording process and you're like, oh, actually, that should stay in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it just became this big open bridge and then we threw in, like, the piano and the Gregorian chant. And um, that song just, it, it means so much to me. But what it's about is at the time, I'd say I was in Cradle of Filth for... God, just over two three years at that point and a huge thing that I was suffering with was uh you know I'm very online I'm very with my fans but I also back then took a lot of shit from people and I took a lot of shit from fans so-called fans and I think some people don't know like when they're overstepping their boundaries and when they're being maybe they're not aware but they're being absolutely so disrespectful to the artist Mm. and they think that they can be abusive towards the artist and they think that they can talk they can talk down to you and be nasty to you. And then like all of a sudden you're their therapist just because you responded. And the one thing that really bothered me was like, if you don't talk to me now, I'm going to kill myself or like, (gasps) Oh, you're not responding to me. You think you're too good for me. You think you're like famous, like really nasty because of their anxieties. And or just like, I can't write them back in 48 hours. And they just assume that I'm mad at them. And I'm like, unless I say something like, don't assume poorly of me but I I understand like I'm very sensitive to mental health but like I also suffer from mental health but I make sure that it's like nobody else's problem unless it's like the the therapist or or I'm just asking to like vent right like you when with maturing with emotional maturity you do learn how to deal with these things but some people don't have that but they don't realize like how abusive they're being so that's actually like what Savior is about is about that abuse that I was heavily carrying at the time. And people were putting me on this pedestal. Like I was some kind of Jesus figure. And I'm like, I'm not, I have my own problems. Like I was struggling really hard with alcoholism back then. Like people didn't know about it, but I was drinking like a bottle of wine a night and I was a mess. And like, then, then Chester died. And I was like, I have to sober up or I'm going to die too. You know, it was what it came to like that, which, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Chester Bennington from Linkin Park. Um, who's like, he was a huge influence on this album. There was times when I was like, literally like, what would Chester do when I was writing? And then he oh, like, really? yeah, he passed away that year. And I was just absolutely heartbroken. I, I, a, a celebrity death had never affected me before until that day. Like my sister was really upset when Heath Ledger died. But that was like her high school crush. Um, and and that was the first time like I saw... Of, like, like celebrity death does but like I sat on the couch and cried for hours that day when Chester died I was just devastated because like I never met him but you know he helped so many people and the fact that he couldn't help himself was heartbreaking and like I don't want to be that person so yeah. then it's like savior writing that song and going through the process and and realizing kind of what needed to be done it, it saved my life in a way it
1: really did That is just, that is so powerful. And I think it just goes back to knowing your why and the power of music and to anyone who's listening to this, who I guess, because it's so easy to think that it's all too hard. And especially if you haven't had that sort of break yet and you're working a normal nine to five, one thing I'm really passionate about is I guess, encouraging people to stay, stay focused on why are you doing this? Because your music has the potential to save lives as we were talking about earlier. And it's really your responsibility at the end of the day to share your gifts with the world, because that's why yeah. we're all here. So I just love that story so much.
0: Oh, I'm glad you enjoy it. And then, and then the music video, I'll try to like talk about it a little quickly. I know we're running out of time here, but for the music video, uh, I got really lucky. The person who did my music video is a uh, Bay. Ruse- Hey, Dari, I I hope I'm saying his name right. He mainly works for, like, Drake, like, the Drake, like, Drake the Rapper, okay? He did that, like, started from the bottom, now we're here, a music video, and it just, like, blew my mind. I was very, very grateful and very lucky for him to do my music video. And the reason we, you know, like, so many gothic bands for, like, no reason do their their music video in a church and i was like oh my god they're just gonna think i'm doing it to be like dark and spooky and ridiculous <laughs> but looking at the song we were all like well, where the hell else else would you film it like you clearly need to be singing in a church in a cathedral uh, literally on a box because i was too short to stand properly you know the, <laughs> whole, the whole like sarah brightman cathedral scene like we had no other choice. We're just like, it was really hot. We did it literally. We actually did it on the two year anniversary of Chester Bennington's death, which was really weird. We didn't. Yeah. It's goosebumps. We did not plan that. Um, but yeah, like it it was just like, it had to happen and it it worked out so well. It was canceled. We were supposed to do it in the winter snowstorm happened. The one guy got stuck up North. They wouldn't fly him out, but yeah, it, it, it came to be, and I put a lot of thinking into that. I mean, convincing the church people to use their church for filming took a little bit of convincing, especially like I tried to keep Cradle's name out of it entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it was... was, (laughs) worked out for
1: the best in the end that's all that matters (laughs) yeah it looks incredible with the stained glass and everything it's it's very dark but um yeah it definitely suits the song um so well yeah i mean the album's out on the 7th of october and the digital you said the digital is out on the 11th is that right yes it is on the friday it'll be available on all platforms Awesome. And, um, how can people, I guess, where's the best place to follow you? Cause you're very, very active on social media. Um, and yeah, which, which platforms do you prefer people follow you on? And also how can they grab the album once it comes out?
0: Awesome. Okay. So all you need to do is go to lindsayschoolcraft.com. So Lindsay with an A. So yeah go there and um, everything's there. So whatever social media platform you prefer, all the icons are there. And there's a thing on my website right now. It says like the album's out soon and there's a button like right at the top of the welcome page says get first access. You click on it, go through the form, give me your email and I will email you Monday. We're hoping to launch at noon Eastern time on Monday.
1: That's the plan. Awesome. So exciting. Well, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this chat and yeah, just all
0: the best for the launch thank you so much. Thanks for your time. It's been awesome. I've just been looking forward to talking to you all day. So this is this is epic. <laughs> oh, thank you so
1: much. So there you have it guys. How freaking cool is Lindsay? I know so many of you would have gotten so much out of this episode. I know that I did. One of my biggest takeaways was, I guess this sense of self-belief that Lindsay has and has had to develop over the years. I actually have got some show notes that go along with this episode with my key takeaways, because there were so many amazing, amazing uh, golden nuggets in this episode so if you just click the link below wherever you're listening to this podcast it's going to take you to my website where I've summarized the episode and of course left all of Lindsay's details where you can go and purchase her brand new album Marta it's actually out now on all platforms both physically and digitally digitally we recorded this episode prior to it coming out so that's why we talk about pre-orders but it is out now and go grab it it's really really good and I'll leave in the show notes all the links to Lindsay. Lindsay's Lindsay's social media and also to my social media. So you can come follow us both. I hope you guys have really enjoyed this episode as much as I have, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.